Hi everyone, Dr. B here of Ask the Dentist. Today, we're doing an audio and video segment, but if you're just listening to us, I assure you, you're not missing anything. We're, we're not gonna have any visual aids or anything like that, but we are talking about the oral microbiome, which we've talked about a lot, but today we're really gonna talk about it. We're gonna get into detail. There are a lot of questions, even amongst practitioners, other dentists, all of you, of course. We have lots of questions and we are very fortunate today because we have a PhD in microbiology and immunology, and that is a big part of the oral microbiome defending us in immunology. And his name is David Lin. He is the co-founder and CSO of Bristle. And you've heard me talk about Bristle. That is a oral microbiome testing company. It's new and it's fantastic. We're going to talk more about that, why it's unique, and why everyone really needs to get a baseline, whether you have good or bad oral health, we need to quantify and define what our oral microbiome is. We've been talking about it, but now we can define it. So David, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I know you just had a, a little boy and we were just earlier talking about lack of sleep. So again, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. How did you get into the oral microbiome? I know you have a, a long journey of education yeah. and and academia, and and but it wasn't oral microbiome to begin with. Did it find you or... I mean, what, how did all. that happen? Tell us a little bit yeah. about your background. So just a little bit about me. Grew up in California. I did my undergraduate studying microbiology, studying environmental microbiology and how we can use that to actually make biofuels. So this was way back when and biofuels were a big thing, making ethanol from bacteria. And then afterwards, I, I went to study my master's where I was studying antibiotic resistance. It's a huge problem that was still severely underaddressed. But it turns out that a lot of bacteria that cause hospital-acquired infections, they become antibiotic-resistant uh, just due to you know extended exposure to antibiotics. And we were looking at whether we could combat this using compound drugs, so just making another molecule that blocks the resistance and how we could cure that. But afterwards, I decided that I wasn't that interested in bacteria anymore. I went to Michigan to do my PhD where I studied a virus. And this is totally aside, but I studied dengue virus. But it turns out that the lab next door was studying the link between the oral microbiome and the gut microbiome. So it wasn't my lab directly, but it's another lab, uh, Nobuhiko Kamada at Michigan, who actually recently published a paper showing that certain bacteria in the mouth, if you give a mouse these bacteria, that they translocate to the gut and they cause inflammation. And they, they can also train your immune system in the mouth and T cells and macrophages and dendritic cells, they all get trained for certain things. And they actually migrate to the gut and then they cause disease. Way more interesting than dengue fever. I agree. No, way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, afterwards, I was like, wow, the microbiome is so interesting. The interactions between the bacteria, fungi, and viruses in your body and how they interact with not just themselves, but with your body. And so I did my postdoc at Genentech where I studied the interaction between the gut microbiome and neurons in the gut. It's uh, another very long tangent, but eventually I became interested in the oral microbiome just through as a tangent from there. It's a pretty logical leap. There was tons of companies in the space that were studying the gut microbiome and that have made products for the gut microbiome, but no one had done anything for the oral microbiome. I mean, it's basically ignored. Actually, a lot of oral health just tends to be ignored because people think that bleeding gums are completely normal when, when they're not at all. I met my co-founder and, and CEO, Danny, actually online through Reddit. He posted a, a little link at the beginning of COVID because he had this idea to start an oral microbiome company. And at the time, like, I really wasn't that interested in starting anything. I was more, I wanted to be an academic, but I saw how underutilized the space was. And so it was a no-brainer. I agree. I think you're a great position. There's a lot more to come on the oral microbiome. And as you were just referring to or inferring that there's this huge link between systemic disease and oral disease. And I think we're just kind of at the forefront of discovering that and, and what to do with it. Let's define the oral microbiome. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I was as a dental academic back in the 80s, went to dental school. I mean, there really wasn't any mention of this. And then, of course, in my career, I came across it 10, 12 years ago. It has fundamentally changed how I look at oral disease or oral health for that matter, and then also how to treat it. And I mean, it's really, I think before that, in just in a nutshell, it was not necessarily the presence of certain bacteria or not, 
that was the issue. Now it's their ability to do harm and how they gang up and and combine. Or there's a new word now in oral microbiome research, uh, the coaggregation yeah. of these bacteria, not coagulation. So really, I mean, it's blown up my world. And I think if we start seeing it correctly, which is what we're going to talk about in the next hour, then I think a lot of people will be blown away. And it's going to change how you see it, how you're going to get treated by your dentist. And so why is the oral microbiome, again, by defining it, why is this such a new paradigm in oral health? Yeah, I would say that first, I don't want to knock any dentists here, but most dentistry right now is still completely reactive, right? Mm -hmm. Like it acts on visible symptoms. So that if somebody has visibly inflamed gums or really deep pockets, then you know there's a problem. And it's the same for cavities. Like the only reason you know that there's an issue is because there's a hole in someone's tooth. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that both of these diseases are basically infections. And so the oral microbiome is the bacteria, the fungi, and the viruses that live in your mouth. Even the archaea, these are different types of microbes, but they all live in your mouth. And normally they live symbiotically with you. They actually help to train your immune system. They keep your tissues healthy and they make metabolites for you. So there's this really interesting interaction between the oral microbiome and nitrate and how it affects your blood pressure because nitrate is a really important molecule in controlling your blood pressure. But nitrate is also useful for the immune system. But essentially the oral microbiome is this consortia, is this community that lives with you. And under symbiosis, like there's no disease. There's no manifestation of any symptoms because they're not there to cause disease. Actually, they, I hate to anthropomorphize them, but really their goal is just to live in this space with you. But what happens is sometimes it becomes imbalanced. And so if you think of it like a garden, you know, sometimes you get weeds. Mm -hmm. And if you get enough weeds, then all of a sudden your entire lawn is covered with dandelions. Right. And that can happen in the mouth too. Yeah. I mean, if the host is not well, then they aren't well. So they have interest in us and we should have interest in their good health. Absolutely. Like persistent inflammation in the body just in general has been shown to just cause dysbiosis. Like I think there's a lot of studies showing, you know, even things like depression, they may be inflammatory diseases and depression actually manifests with changes in the microbiome, probably because of some type of persistent inflammation. And a lot of these bacteria, specifically the ones that cause gum disease, are really good at thriving in that kind of environment. And like you referred to, there's this interesting phenomenon of co-aggregation between certain species that cause inflammation and that persistent inflammation, like P. gingivalis and, and other spirochetes. They're really good at invading space when there's already tissue damage. Right. Do you ever get the idea, and you can include all the biomes, Obviously, it, the oral microbiome is not the only biome in the mouth, but microbiomes in general, do you ever get the sense that we aren't human, that we're actually, we're something else? I mean, we're a combination, we're like a super organism for the yeah. lack of a, a good description, because yeah. these biomes now, and, and as time passes, I'm sure we'll realize how important they are. It really is what makes or breaks us. And if that's the case, then we're not just human. Yeah, it's so fascinating. So much of like being a person is really just responding to stimuli, right? Like if you think about any organism, really, like what do they really do? They respond to their environment, the things that happen around them. And the way that happens, that may not be because you are actually thinking something. It may be because the microbes in your body are telling you something. Right. There's a really dramatic example of this in mice and in cats where mice become more social to cats when they've become infected with the with the parasite called toxoplasma right and that that like brings them to the cat and the cat then eats the mouse and gets infected and right. can then pass it through their poop and there's this huge cycle right. and like it brings up the question of like do other microbes do something similar without actually invading the brain do they just make molecules that can right. affect the brain well totally maybe possible that's, maybe that's the biome of the mice trying to get to the biome of the cats yeah. maybe maybe they're trying to diversify themselves it's kind of like seeds falling off of trees we just know the tip of the iceberg on yeah. oral microbiome i think oral microbiome and biomes in general but especially the oral microbiome has a lot to do with the dating world i think the smell you know of course if you have halitosis or bad breath that's going to be a turn off to other potential mates but but i think that the biomes especially the oral microbiome because it's so readily up front 
-hmm. in that pole position. You can smell someone's breath. You can taste it. There's something going on there, some signaling, some subliminal messages that we're not aware of. You know, of course, we've heard the connection between pheromones and, and dating that's probably tied into the oral microbiome. So, yeah. so I think uh, we need dating sites that have good oral microbiome testing, right? Yeah. Uh, microbiome matching. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I would maybe love that's, to do a study, maybe that's though. the key. The next thing in dating sites. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so the oral microbiome. So we've got all these bacteria and viruses, fungi, uh, yeast cells, all these DNA that's not human. It's in our mouth. It's all over our body. It's on our skin. They now even say that the brain has a biome. There's a nasal biome, but let's stick with the oral microbiome. What does it look like when it's functioning well? And what does it look like when it's, the term we use is dysbiotic, mm -hmm. where it's not doing well? So there's the, the good state and the bad state. Let's define that. And then we can talk about how to recognize that and what to do about it, what causes it. But let's first kind of flesh that out. Yeah. There's a lot of research still going on about like what the definition of dysbiosis is. And I think it's the same thing for other biomes. Like people don't really understand the dynamics of community, but I can give you my definition. Normally in the microbiome, in your oral microbiome, you have a good ratio of pathogenic bacteria, like ones that can invade really well and ones that are commensal, ones that prevent invasion. And the reason for this is that you actually need those kind of potentially pathogenic bacteria because they can train your immune system. They do a lot of things that we just don't understand. But one of the most obvious ones is they train your immune system so that like uh, you produce antibodies against antigens from Porphyrmonas gingivalis so that you don't get more Porphyrmonas gingivalis. And this helps to maintain the ratios of all these bacteria. But what happens in dysbiosis is you start to lack the, the good bacteria. We call them commensals because they live symbiotically with you you start to lose those. And this happens a lot actually in people who recently took antibiotics because it, it basically kills off your biomes and the things that come back aren't always these commensals. Sometimes what happens is you get weird community dynamics that allow things to grow that normally don't. So just for example, in oral thrush, a lot of people who are immunocompromised, they succumb to oral thrush. And this is because normally the amount of candida in your body is directly training your immune system to prevent more candida. But candida is doing something there that we don't really know that's important because most people have candida. But all of a sudden, when your immune system's out of whack, if you have no immune system, these things can grow and that causes dysbiosis. So it's both directions. It's like too much inflammation, really bad. Absolutely no inflammation, really bad. I don't know if that directly answers like what dysbiosis yeah. is. I mean, well, but... people are going to right away ask, well, why are those bad bugs present? Why is H. pylori present, the one that causes ulcers in the stomach? Uh, why is the P. gingivalis bug present? And that's kind of how dentistry was thinking, at least back even one decade ago, just 10 years ago, even today in some areas. But if these are bugs that are causing infections, why not kill them? Why not just nuke them? Unfortunately... That's kind of a misunderstanding for a lot of practitioners. Back in the day, like we wanted to treat everything with antibiotics because we didn't realize the importance of having other bacteria there to really prevent infection. So just having low levels of other types of anaerobic pathogens can actually help to prevent infection by others mm -hmm. because they just take up the space. If you think about it like your garden, mint is kind of like a weed. Uh, mint can grow in crazy spaces and it can just expand. But having mint in a particular location can actually prevent all these other weeds from coming in, or it can prevent, you know, and animals pests. from coming and eating exactly. all your, yeah, you know, all these bugs from eating all your stuff. So it's really important to have these kinds of keystone species, I think yeah. we call them, that can cause disease, but they can also help prevent disease. So I think that's what we need to understand, and we don't fully understand yet, is how, for example, a, a yeast cell, which out of control causes candidiasis or as yeast infection in the mouth, as you said, oral thrush, but obviously it's there for a reason. And it may be that it's producing some kind of ingredient or nutrient, or maybe its presence combined with another bug has some benefit. And that's the stuff we got to figure out is, okay, we've got all the bugs. We've isolated what the bugs are, 700 plus different species, but what are they able to do when combined together? Yeah. And then, of course, when that goes wrong, obviously there are problems. So let's talk about 
a homeostatic, ecologically balanced mouth. So we've got all these bacteria, the good and bad guys, I, I call them pathogenic and commensal bacteria, but the good and bad guys, they're all sitting in one spot and everything is going well. What does, if that's the case, and again, that's not the majority of us in this country, that's mm -hmm. probably 30% of us, right? Yeah, it's very few. Yeah. <laughs> um, what does that oral microbiome give us? What is the benefit of that? We can talk about the immune response. We can talk about remineralization, pH balancing, nitrate formation uh, or processing. I mean, give us an overview of what a really good functional oral microbiome is doing for us every single minute of the day and night. Yeah. Let's start with remineralization. I think this affects most people because most people have had a cavity in their life. But I think most people aren't aware that the microbiome, the bacteria in your mouth, actually help your teeth to grow the enamel back. Mm -hmm. okay? So there's this really interesting pathway. It's called the arginine deaminase pathway. And it's what bacteria can do is they can take arginine, which is just an amino acid. It's just, it's in protein that you eat. There's some foods that are higher in arginine and they take it into their cells and they turn it into an alkali, which is basically uh, something that can neutralize acid. And we all know that acid decays teeth uh, and it erodes the enamel. But these bacteria, they can live on the surface of your teeth and they can produce the opposite effect. So they're actually protecting the enamel. And there's a lot of studies that show that an increase in the pH is correlated with thicker enamel, stronger enamel. Right. I mean, so, calcium, just the presence of calcium or even hydroxyapatite, even a synthetic version of that, which we're beginning to see in toothpaste, thank goodness, that alone, the presence of that acts as an acid buffer. Yep. which is a good thing. And and just in review for everyone listening, if the pH of the mouth drops too low, which it can after a meal, or if your mouth is very dry, you've been mouth breathing a lot, that's that pH is is very dangerous. And that's when the tooth is falling apart. It's demineralizing. Okay. And then, you know, of course, remineralization, we want to keep the teeth in a, keep the saliva and mouth in a very neutral position and pH. Uh, the other th interesting thing, now that I've mentioned hydroxyapatite, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but calcium, phosphorus, hydroxyapatite, that's a biomimetic material. Just having that in saliva actually affects how bugs adhere in the microbiome to the surface of the tooth. And again, there's nothing wrong with biofilm. Again, dentists have been programmed and brainwashed to think that biofilm's bad, but that biofilm is there for a reason. And that's why it grows back in 10, 15 minutes after you disinfect it and brush it and polish it away. It's there to protect the tooth. So again, the oral microbiome is important and it's sitting on the tooth in that biofilm. And, yep. and the calcium that's in the saliva is actually helping a lot. And yep. that's how that remineralization, demineralization equation is so important. What about immunology, preventing oral cancer, ulcerations of the oral mucosa and, and infections of the mouth? Oh, yeah. Gum disease. How does the oral microbiome, a well-functioning oral microbiome contribute to that. Yeah. So a really good analogy is really just going back to the garden. So there's a fairly good example of if you have a healthy garden, if it's full, right, and, and you've planted all your flowers and there's very little space, bacteria in your mouth, they literally can just take up space. And the idea is that if there's no new niches for things to get introduced, then this is going to protect you from infection. It's going to protect the garden from invasive weeds. And this is just a very general concept. So if you wipe it out, like you can see in people who have taken antibiotics, you, you get a lot of dysbiosis. But particularly in the case of uh, other types of disease that are not readily apparent, like oral cancer, what can happen is you can get an outgrowth of specific types of bacteria, such as this one called Fusobacterium nucleatum, mm -hmm which is an anaerobic species. And it's really strange because it's really good at invading tissues. And it has this weird kind of string formation. They grow in these really long fusiform bacteria. They're actually like, they kind of look like multiple little cells all lined up. Mm -hmm. And that actually helps them to invade space and they cause inflammation. They're really good at causing inflammation. And, and so, colon cancer, I mean. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and Not they, just they oral travel, cancer. 
they travel all across the body somehow. We don't really fully understand that. We think that it can be both through the blood and it can translocate through the stomach and down to the intestine. Mm -hmm. It's not entirely clear, but Fusobacterium has been found in all kinds of places and particularly in tumors. And this only happens, uh, at least we think it only happens in people who have dysbiosis because Fusobacterium was allowed to grow to such high levels that allows it to translocate to all these places and just cause disease. Right. That's a great example. Let's talk about the oral systemic connection a little bit. So this oral microbiome, let's say it's dysbiotic, things are out of control. A lot of the bad bugs are in control. They're ganging up on the good bacteria. Things are not going as well as they should. How does that translate to systemic disease? I mean, we can talk about the mechanisms if you want, or we can keep it very generalized. But I think people understand that these bugs or oral infections can get into the body. They can cause Alzheimer's and uh, aggravate diabetes. Uh, and when I said cause Alzheimer's, I meant cause Alzheimer's. They can also aggravate and and increase systemic inflammation. And But how does that all work? I mean, in, in your world of microbiology and immunology, give us, give us your understanding of that. Yeah, really complicated interactions. Mm -hmm. But I will describe one recent study, which was really well done. What they found was basically the bacteria in your mouth, let's say they just stay in the mouth, okay? And that there's no way for them to move around the body, even though we, we understand that happens. But one thing that can happen, that does happen, is the bacteria in your mouth train your cells, they train the, your immune cells to actually recognize certain things and to do certain things. It's really complicated the way they do it, but just realize that when one of your immune cells encounters a certain bacteria, there's going to be a reaction. It's going to say, okay, what is this thing? And am I supposed to remove it or am I supposed to leave it there? Is this good for me or is it not? And you can imagine that there's hundreds of different species in the mouth. They can all make different types of molecules. So your, your immune cell can interact with all kinds of different things coming from different bacteria in your mouth. And so what this study found was if you put, let's say, a lot of this one bacteria is called Klebsiella. It's found in most people's mouths. But if you put a lot of it in, some, in a mouth, then the immune system starts to recognize that as really bad because it thinks the dose of it is just so terrible. I'm supposed to remove all of this. So, right. so what it does is it not just removes it in the mouth, but it moves around your body and it says, oh my gosh, this is in the gut too. I have to get rid of everything. Right. And Klebsiella in the gut is actually a sign of Crohn's disease. It's strongly associated with, with Crohn's and, and people who get flare-ups, they get a lot of Klebsiella. Why? What is it about Klebsiella that causes this persistent inflammation? We don't really understand that, but we do know that just having it a lot in the mouth translates to inflammation in the gut. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand that gum disease, periodontal disease, is a probably an autoimmune disease. It's chronic. It's an overreaction of the immune system, probably for reasons like that, that it sees it's kind of like a, I don't know what the, a good analogy would be, but if a system sees a bug in one place, then it's okay, I can deal with that. But if it sees it in several places in the whole system, it's going to produce a bigger response yeah. to it because it's yeah. more global, right? And perhaps that response is, is over the top. And of course, that destroys gum tissue, causes gum recession, bone loss, and ultimately loss of the teeth. I have a really good example of it that I'm currently battling right now, which is ants. Uh, we have ants in our house. You know, one or two ants, you're like, oh, that's okay. I'm just going to crush it, right? right? But then you see like a thousand ants. You're like, I got to burn the house down. Like, right. I'm going to, I got to fix this. How am I going to fix right. this? I'm just going to. Yeah. Like... That's a good analogy. But, and then you have to worry about poisoning other organisms in the house. Right. So that leads me to the the next topic is, that's kind of how dentistry has been dealing with infections in the mouth. We've been approaching it with this global kind of response of trying to kill or knock everything down. Let's talk about oral healthcare products, uh, toothpaste, mouthwash, yeah. you know, even the prescribed mouthwashes at the dentist, which are stronger fluoride. We can include fluoride in there because fluoride has an antibacterial effect. A lot of dentists will prescribe a very strong fluoride varnish or prescription strength fluoride because it has a antibacterial effect xylitol gum, which can affect the, the, the bug uh, S mutans, the bug that causes cavities, one of the bugs that causes cavities. So, so obviously the approach has been wrong. How do yep. you see 
Well, let's talk about what we're doing now. We're using yeah. alcohol and triclosan and pesticides, detergents and, and disinfectants in mouthwash and toothpaste. Why is that conceptually not a good idea based on what we know now? Yeah. Coming back to the garden analogy, what it's like using triclosan and toothpaste or, you know, SLS or, or other detergents that just broadly kill everything, alcohol-based uh, mouthwash, is akin to basically burning down the whole garden just because you had one dandelion. And what happens, of course, after a forest fire is you don't know what's going to grow back. Like mm -hmm. you don't get to pick and choose all the time. Sometimes right. the first thing that grows back is going to be the mint. Yeah. That thing, and now there's nothing to stop it from growing. You don't have the other, you don't have the flowers that you liked having there. You don't have that orange tree. You don't have any of those other nice to have things. And now you just have mint. And so that's why the approach of burning everything down isn't always great. In some cases, it is still, I would say, pretty useful. People with very severe periodontal disease or other types of disease that are just not manageable anymore. And we actually have a term for that. We call it, it's a slash and burn mm -hmm. and then uh, repopulation. Right. So weeding, idea, weeding, feeding, and seeding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the idea is to try and destroy everything because we don't really know how to fix so many things. Like you have really bad dysbiosis. Right. And then we try and repopulate using probiotics or with better diet. Yeah, and, the, and hopefully the, that's that. a great analogy. And, and the way I see it is that if we nuke our garden, with strong pesticides, or then, of course, we're worried about what grows back. We may kill the good plants, the plants we want to see growing. But then the other problem is, what have we done to the soil, yeah. which is where the things grow? Totally. And it's the same thing in the mouth. Just give me a short list of what you don't want to see in your toothpaste and mouthwash, right. if you use mouthwash. Yeah, it's basically all those things. Any broad-spectrum antibiotics are really, mm -hmm. really try to avoid. So these are things like alcohol-based mouthwash, chlorhexidine, I'm not a big fan of, even though it's prescribed pretty frequently. Right. Um, CPC, pseudoporidium chloride, that's also a broad-spectrum antimicrobial. Right. Bleach, a lot of things actually have bleach in them. They don't call it bleach, but they still call it right. sodium hypochlorite. Yep. It's not really recognizable. And you think, oh, this is great because it's supposed to cure my bad breath. But what happens is you use it. Mm -hmm use it every day and you think it's working because a week goes by and you're like, oh, I cured my bad breath, but it's because you killed everything. Right. And now you're selecting for the things that are no longer affected as much yeah. by it. And you've affected other metabolites and other things yeah. that were going on that were good for you. Yeah. You've destroyed the soil, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, you drop pesticide everywhere. Of course, you're going to, it's yeah. going to leach into the soil. Like sodium lauryl sulfate, emulsifiers, oh, yeah. actins. Those surfactants actually have been shown to do a lot of terrible things and not just your microbiome, but to your own tissue. So if you just think about like any cell, like any the building blocks of your body, they have the same types of membranes as mm -hmm. basically every organism is the made lipid, of the lipid membrane. membrane. Lipid bilayer. Right. Right. And these lipid bilayers are destroyed by detergents, these surfactants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you're actually just causing tissue damage by right. using SMS. I mean, you're literally disrupting the integrity of a cell, right? Yep. And, and typically, toothpaste manufacturers will put that in there for foaming. I don't know why, how we got, the, <laughs> uh, you know, want or need a foaming toothpaste, but also, especially kids, kids don't like foaming toothpaste. But also, it's usually used, emulsifiers and surfactants are used so that the toothpaste manufacturer can make large quantities in large vats, mass produce this for improved profit and lower overhead so that the mix, when it's done and when the toothpaste tubes are filled individually, that the mix is very homogeneous. In other words, it's all yeah. the same from tube to tube. So yeah, I agree with you. There are a lot of things like alcohol and mouthwash. Do you think, just a quick side question, this is maybe more for practitioners, but the presence of alcohol in mouthwash, we know that there's a, a predilection or you're predisposed to oral cancer even if you drink wine and beer and mm -hmm. alcoholic beverages, but especially if you use mouthwashes that have alcohol in it. We've known about that for, I think now about 10 years, but is it the effect of the alcohol on the oral mucosa directly, or is it the effect of alcohol on the microbiome, which we talked about earlier, can, yeah. because of the dysbiosis, can cause oral cancer and other cancers? Is it a little bit of both? So complicated. Yeah. It's really hard to know you'd have to run some very well-controlled studies, right. which we really shouldn't be doing on people who, who came, like we don't want to predispose people to cancer. Right. Right. So you can only do this observationally. Yes. 
But in order to do a study like that, like you'd have to really track the oral microbiomes of these people mm-hmm. and then see which ones had cancer after a certain time right. frame. So I think the jury's still out. We really don't yeah. know. You know, there's still much debate about oral cancer and different types of viruses. So viruses are part of the oral microbiome, which are generally ignored. But HPV, it's a really big a cause of oral cancer. Right. But the reason that people get flare-ups of HPV or of HSV or other types of viral infections in the mouth is because of the rest of the oral microbiome. Right. Um, so, you know, people... Because we all, most of us are carrying the HPV. This, oh, everyone who's listening, this is uh, herpetic ulcerations of the mouth, lip sores. And most of us carry that bug. I think it's 70% of the population yeah. has it. And But why do a lot of people never, ever get a cold sore? It has a lot to do with the oral microbiome, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, a lot of people ask about this, a lot of practitioners... A lot of companies that are trying to formulate products, they call me and they say, should I develop a probiotic or prebiotic? How important is diet? Do we really need to add pro or prebiotics? How would you answer that? I mean, I I have my favorite. I'm not keen on pro. I like pre. And then, of course, diet rules all, right? But how would you answer that question? What's important? And does taking a pro or prebiotic tablet, chewing on it, exposing it to the bacteria in the mouth, does that actually work? (laughs) really good and and maybe talk about xylitol gum as well because that's a prebiotic and what's your take on that the question that people always ask me is like if i can only do one thing to fix my oral microbiome like what should i do good question and i always say diet like that's it like there's a reason that our like ancient ancestors thousands of years ago they never got cavities you know why they didn't eat processed food that's it like they chew their food they have fibrous food and they don't have sugar Right. Like it's really quite simple, right? Right. It is that simple. <laughs> yeah. And and so I tell people like that's going to change your microbiome and that's going right. to shift it in a way that you don't it's not low pH anymore because right. you're not you're not fermenting all the sugars. Right. So that's the top. The next thing is there's a lot of evidence that probiotics do work. Actually Bristol we haven't released this yet, but we just finished a study with a probiotic manufacturer with a probiotic company. And we actually showed that one month of probiotic use actually led to a shift in the microbiome. So we actually improved the amount of species that, that can metabolize arginine and, and increase the pH of the saliva. And we can specifically inhibit the growth of certain types of anaerobic bacteria. Um, it's really very exciting. And there's a few other studies that have shown, not with a comprehensive oral microbiome, but looking at very specific pathogens that things like streptococcus salivarius or lactobacillus ruteri, these in the mouth are really potent and they can prevent the outgrowth of other types of bad bacteria. But that is all to say, if you have a really bad diet and you're just eating sugar, a lot of just very basic sugars, none of these probiotics will have the effect you're looking for. It's going to start with your diet. Yeah. If you had to choose between a pre and a probiotic, not that there's anything wrong with combining them in a tablet, but yep. what, I mean, pre to me is more like diet because that's yep. what diet is. It's prebiotic. Yep. Yeah. So it would be pre over pro. Definitely a prebiotic. So there were a few studies that showed there are these things called optimized periodontal diets, and they're kind of like prebiotics. Like their understanding of, at the time when they did the study, their understanding of it wasn't really modulating the oral microbiome. It was really like how can we improve the overall health of someone's mouth, like by dropping inflammation, by increasing the number of vitamins that we know that suppress inflammation. So there's basically by taking something like a multivitamin as a lozenge, taking omega-3s, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin C, by adding these things as, as a supplement, they actually helped to reduce levels of inflammation and, right. and to kind of heal gingivitis. So that's basically a prebiotic. There were a few other studies that showed that nitrate directly can be a prebiotic by directly modulating the oral microbiome. So this is not the effect of like healing the tissue. It's actually of modulating the oral microbiome so that you're shifting the composition to reduce those pathogens to low enough levels so that the good ones can come in and do what they do to keep you healthy. So my go-to is prebiotics. Right. Uh, what's your favorite food for oral microbiome? <laughs> Just curious. My favorite foods, it's leafy greens. So things that are low sulfur and high in nitrate. So this is like lettuce, beets, 
I think spinach may be one of them. But there are some foods that are high in nitrate, but also high in sulfur. Right. A lot of people, if they don't suffer from persistent bad breath, then high sulfur is okay. Or if they don't have a lot of these pathogens that cause gum disease, sulfur is okay. So things like broccoli, I love broccoli. And then if you eat meat, chicken. Chicken's high in arginine and, right. and uh, helps to modulate the oral microbiome. Yep, yep. Yeah, I would love to talk more about arginine and hydroxyapatite together. There's a synergy yeah. there, but we'll save yeah. that for later. So let's, we've got 10, 15 minutes left. I want to talk about the company you work for, that the company that you founded, Bristle. I came across it. Actually, you guys reached out to me and I'm very grateful for that. And full disclosure, I, I am an a advisor for the company. But I have to say, it's been a long time since I've been this excited, probably when I first learned about the oral microbiome and, and just dove in, did a lot of research. And back then there wasn't a lot of information. And then just formulating, how does this change my world and my patient's world? Mm -hmm. And of course, that, that was vast. But now we have a test that I think is the best on the market, that there have been tests before Bristle, but they're not even worth discussing because they, they, they're based on a different approach. So let's talk about the test, why it's unique, what it does. Uh, I'll remind you of all this. I, I know it's a yeah. loaded question. What it does. <laughs> and then I think in the end, I really want to talk about, well, how to get the test. We'll, we'll, we'll end with that. But, but I want to talk about who should take it yeah. and why and what to do with that information. Yeah. So let's start first with what is the test and why is it unique? Yeah. So the test. So at Bristol, we developed this comprehensive oral microbiome test. So some of you may be aware of other microbiome tests, such as the gut microbiome, where you collect fecal sample and you send it in. And what we give you is just a list of all the bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live in that community. So in the oral microbiome, you just donate saliva. It's a lot easier than collecting. A lot easier. In a tube. <laughs> more palatable. Absolutely. <laughs> Far more. <laughs> And what we do is we don't just give you that list, but we actually try to boil it down into some really digestible things. So we know the types of bacteria in your mouth that can cause cavities. These are really good at producing acid from the sugar you eat, uh, like streptococcus mutans. And we came out with several scores. So the first is a tooth decay score. So how likely is it that your saliva is low pH? And how likely is it that these bacteria, when they form a biofilm on your tooth, will cause an incipient cavity? That's basically one of the scores. Uh, another score we have is one of the other most prevalent oral diseases is gum disease. There's a lot of bacteria that can cause inflammation of the gums. One misconception is that they, people want to get rid of all of them. They always want their scores to be zero. They're like, why, are, why can I never get this score to zero? And it's because you actually need low levels of them. So our scores go to 10 and I tell people like below a 3.3 is great. A zero, a little weird. You might be okay, though, because it might be below our limit of detection, but like, that's okay. But as you start to approach higher numbers, of course, uh, your scores are worse. And then we're, we're slowly releasing more things about the test, about the microbiome, because we're learning more. We actually learn a lot about, about microbiome score, which I, yep. is wonderful yeah. and fascinating because there's a link between the two biomes, probably one of the more important links between biomes in the body, uh, because, yeah. I mean, the oral microbiome is in front of or ahead of, or yeah. at the headwaters of the gut microbiome. Yeah. And a lot of those bacteria are being washed down into the gut. Not all of them survive. Yeah. But when you're swallowing a liter and a half of saliva every day, well, you know, those bugs are going somewhere and they are populating and yeah. interacting with the gut yeah. microbiome. So that's yeah. a good score. Yeah, um, you, s you swallow 100 billion bacteria every day. And so even if 0.001% of them made through, that's still thousands of them, exactly. right? Yeah. And yeah, so a lot of bacteria in the mouth, like I discussed before, they can train your immune system and they can get to your gut and they can cause inflammation. A lot of good studies there that have shown that, that direct causal link. And we're constantly improving the test. That's the other thing about the Bristle platform is that it's learning. There hasn't never been a database like this where people have given information about their oral health status and we have their microbiome data, which means that we can constantly improve how we look at the microbiome. Um, right. So some things that we're trying to release are personalized microbiomes. Like why does your microbiome look like this compared to somebody else? And does this predispose you to certain diseases, even if your cavity score is lower? Like, yeah. is it more likely for you to get strep mutans from somebody else? Right. Things so, like that. Yeah. So a lot of this information will be retro retroactive. In other words, it'll come later because, yes. you know, as the algorithms are created, then it gets applied again and then you'll get an update. 
that brings up another point. We're going to stick to Bristol here. There's there's more to talk about, but as a, a real quick question would be, how does the test handle the diversity of oral microbiomes? I mean, I'm talking about healthy. Yeah. Everyone's got a. There's a unique oral microbiome yeah. for everyone, and yeah. that's a difficult thing to quantify and and understand. So, how does Bristol deal with that? I'll preface it by saying that, uh, like you said, everyone's microbiome is unique. We're finding that there isn't really a single healthy oral microbiome. Like people have sought after something like this for the for the gut, where they keep on looking for whether or not specific probiotic cocktails will be will really fix the problem for everybody. But there is no silver bullet like that. Like everyone's unique, and that means that we need to tailor our uh, recommendations to you tailor your diet, tailor your probiotics, tailor your prebiotics, all based on these very unique microbiomes. And so I'll say that what we do at Bristol is we apply a little bit of machine learning and we say, your microbiome looks like this. It's unique, but it's still similar to somebody else. Okay. So we can actually group these by how similar they are to each other. And then we say in this cluster of people, what the last time they went to the dentist or the last time they reported that they had some symptoms, what was it? Like, what are they suffering from and what did they do to fix it? Because the thing they did to fix it is going to be different inheritably from somebody else. So one that's, good example. That's the is, advantage of machine learning. Yeah. But also I think there, the variability in oral microbiomes has a lot to do with your environment. And that includes diet, what you're eating. If you're eating good foods, what is the source of those foods? Are there some is there glyphosate in there or some yeah. lack of minerals? Are you yeah. in a, living in a humid, hot area or very cold area? Are you doing a lot of mouth breathing when you go outside in the Michigan winter? I mean, all these factors, that's the uniqueness of the oral microbiome is that it's right behind this mouth that eats and talks and dries out and gets hit with acidic drinks and it gets a lot of abuse and you know the gut is very protected it's way down there in a dark little hole and it's got its variabilities of course mostly diet but that's the uniqueness of the oral microbiome and that's why it's so complex and then my last point is i think a lot of the variability in oral microbiomes is just variability based on how healthy your biome is in other words if everyone was perfect perfect diet perfect environment perfect hygiene, whatever, then there'd be less variability among oral microbiomes. So that variability comes from a lot of us aren't as good as we think we are or say we are. And some of us are really bad. Some of us are, it depends on what time of day or time of week. It could be time of year. It could be around the holidays. You know, I mean, eating a lot of fruitcake and whatever. So that's what makes this so fascinating. It's a real kind of a lot of detective work on your part. And I, I love the fact that I mean, that's the great fascinating part about what you do is that there are more unanswered questions than there are answered questions. Yep. And you're piecing out, kind of chipping away at this. So let's go back to the test. So who should test? I mean, a lot of people are like, yeah, I get a good checkup. I get a good, you know, I get a high five from my dentist and a hygienist. And, and that always makes me nervous because they don't know about the testing necessarily. And the high five you get from a hygienist is based on a lot of good you know, like morphology of the tissue and mm-hmm. how much plaque there is. But I mean, they don't know what your oral microbiome is doing. And knowing the colony counts and, and the presence of certain bacteria. And I mean, to me, that is the best way to approach this. So before you give, you know, as a dentist, before you give someone a high five, I would gather more data. And that's yeah. where bristle comes into play. So who should get this test? Yeah. Probably everyone, uh, <laughs> based on what I just said. <laughs> Selfishly, I would say everyone, right? Like there's never really a harm in getting more data. Like you always want to know more about yourself. I'm assuming this, most people do. Most people want to know more about their health because we're starting to learn kind of the the effects of certain things. So just for instance, like glucose monitors before they were just for people with diabetes. And now almost all these athletes are wearing them constantly so they can track all kinds of things. Right. The oral microbiome is very similar. One thing to know about the oral microbiome is that it can shift quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. So we did some very intense study where people collected samples three times a day. They'd logged all the things that they did. And one person skipped their oral hygiene routine for one night. Okay. They skipped it for one night and that happened to be the same night that they also were binge drinking. <laughs> they had a little party and 
immediately after that, we saw a huge change, a huge shift in the oral microbiome, right. and it became dysbiotic. And after that, right after that, they went back to their routine. It didn't fix it. Right. Right. Their normal routine was not enough to fix it. It's kind of like if you clean your bedroom in the corners, you know, you slowly accumulate dust. You accumulate little things. Maybe you don't see like there's two ants in the corner. Right. There are places and you're going to miss. Exactly. Like the vacuum doesn't reach Continuum. the corner all the time. And yep. it's okay. Like you keep on, you, if you clean it routinely, like every week, then you're fine. But what happens if you stop cleaning it, that dust pile now is enormous and is no longer manageable by just the same part of the vacuum, you need a new tool to clean that up. And that's kind of what happens. So that's why I always tell people like, I want to give you the data so that you can make actions for yourself, because otherwise you have no idea what's going on in your mouth. Like you could have a very high load of these pathogens, even though you are, you are healthy right now, especially because let's say you're doing your six month checkup and you get a cleaning every six months and you have the same routine, but let's say something happens to you and you, you miss your dental visit and like, I don't know, something disables you for, for a day or two and you can't do your oral hygiene routine. Now you get a huge shift. Like, wouldn't you like to know that the next time you go to the dentist, they're going to tell you that you have four or five millimeter pockets. Like I would like to know that. Yeah. And so the way to prevent it is really constant monitoring of your own oral health without having and to go it, in. It's a lot like sleep. You can never self-assess your own sleep because you're asleep or you're half asleep. And it's the same thing with the mouth. You can't see anything in there. So you need everyone uses the word professional supervision. I don't like that term. I think <laughs> professional observation and coaching. And that's why you know that twice a year schedule of seeing a dentist is so important, along with test results from Bristol and quantifying the oral microbiome. A lot of people are going to ask, well, okay, I've been abusing my oral microbiome. I want to change. I, I want to fix this. Uh, ideally, how soon can someone turn around their oral microbiome? Assuming they behave <laughs> and do everything. That's <laughs> Assuming <it>. compliance, <laughs> which is very hard to come by. Very, especially um, in today's world. I'll give an example of one very compliant patient because she had this problem when she came to us that she had constant cavities every time she would go to the dentist and they would fill them and they would say, okay, you're good for the next three months. Mm -hmm. uh, just come back in three months and we'll just do this again. <laughs> and like, she thinks that's crazy. And we thought it's crazy. And we said, you know, there are things that you can do from home. Let's see what's in your mouth first. And it turns out that she had very low abundance of commensal species and she had very high levels of strep mutans. Actually, right. I think it's some of the highest we've ever seen. And we told her and she was like, well, that explains a lot. What do I do? And we said, well, first xylitol chews. Let's take some xylitol. Xylitol blocks fermentation. Uh, so after every meal, just have a stick of gum. And then we also told her to use a specific probiotic. And this probiotic helps to boost the commensal species so that you can increase the pH of your saliva. And the next test she took, which was three months later, so this was a three-month, very rigorous, like a whole routine. Three months later, she tested again and she had no strep mutans. So she was great. And then she went to the dentist and they said, there's nothing to fill. Right. This is the you actually solved the problem. Right. Uh, and then after that, she was actually wondering if she should even go back every three months because she was paying out of pocket for three-month visits. So right. she actually skipped the next visit uh, right. just in on the routine. Yeah, that's why um, this testing and knowing the actual yeah. data points that determine oral health is so important. So how much is the test? Where do you find it? I'm recommending to patients, to viewers, to listeners, to readers that they do get a baseline, even if they're getting perfect scores and have had no oral disease, things change as you get older. But even if you are in good health, why not get a baseline of what your good oral microbiome is? Because at some point, something may happen. You may start taking some medications yeah. for some other reason, other health concern. You're going to age, diet changes, where you live changes, life circumstances changes. So I ask people, if they can, to get tested if you're perfectly healthy, at least once a year, but if you're mm -hmm. undergoing treatment, it could be as often as every six weeks, depending yeah. on what's being done. We always vouch for prevention. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And the way to prevent it is really by knowing what your status is all the time. So if I could, like I would test every week, that gets enormously expensive because yep. the test right now is uh, about $100. Right. We're working to reduce it if we can, because we'd really like to make this extremely approachable and palatable for everybody. Mm -hmm. But the principle of the test is really to prevent any oral disease because right. once you get five millimeter pockets, that's it. Like you're going to manage that for the rest of your life. Right. 
You can't um, solve that. You can only arrest that disease. But I mean, it's the same case in, well, in most cases, it's the cost savings come after the fact. In other words, if you yeah. invest properly yeah. and, and you prevent disease, which Bristle, you know, knowing that information certainly can provide you, then, I mean, we all know how expensive dental care is, especially yeah. for chronic diseases like getting a cavity or yeah. losing a tooth due to decay, root canals. Wow. I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. So the cost of testing once or twice or three times a year is small in comparison. And, and you know, to me, Bristle is, I mean, physicians, cardiologists use CRP, uh, the metabolic uh, physicians, yeah. metabolic syndrome, diabetes physicians that are treating that. I mean, they're using the A1C and yeah. I mean, the, all these tests, there's yeah. cholesterol tests, yeah. you know, all these tests are important. Dentistry really doesn't have any tests. Yeah. I mean, but until now, and, and this yeah. is important. And I think hopefully the, the, the best end solution here would be that insurance covers this. Yep. I think that will happen over time. Uh, I've certainly lobbied for that. I spoke to Congress, uh, House of Representatives about, it's been about two months. And that was one of the things I mentioned. It's like, I mean, let's start preventing oral disease because oral disease, if you can prevent oral disease, you're going to, savings to Medicare are in the, I calculated based on a Columbia college study of 250,000 participants. It was done in 2007. Based on those numbers, if you prevent oral disease, and that's a savings of $7 billion a year to Medicare. I mean, and that's how important that connection is. And of course, because physicians kind of work in their lane and physicians are in their lane and they're not communicating and they're both in their own little vacuums. I mean, this is costing us a lot of money and a lot of pain and, yeah. and bills and personal issues as well yeah. in terms of health and financial outlays. And dental insurance is a terrible product. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you do get oral disease, you're going to suffer in so many different ways. So I think the bristle, as you get more tests out there and the technology gets streamlined, I think the price will come down. But I think insurance will, they've got to get wind of this. They really have to understand that this will save time. And then also convincing dentists to gather this data. And not all dentists are open to that, especially the older ones. So but I think it's going to revolutionize oral health, dentistry, the profession, testing. You know, yeah, we hope so. Some of the things that are severely underappreciated are really just the connections with how they affect the rest of your body. Just like people with periodontal disease are at extremely high risk for cardiovascular disease. And the right. reason is because bacteria from your mouth, they can end up in your arteries. Exactly. Um, they can actually create the plaque there. It's right. kind of crazy. Yeah think about, but a lot of studies have now shown the plaque in your arteries is, is actually full of bacteria from your yeah, mouth. Exactly. Um, yeah. A lot of the oral bacteria are found in chronic diseases. Uh, I've seen All of them. as much as seven out of 10 chronic diseases have some kind of oral connection or yeah. oral bacterial connection. And, yeah. and I mean, that alone should motivate people to take care of their mouth and to test it. So I'll provide a link on how to get the test. David, I would love to get you back on, you know, more podcasts. Uh, we talked about doing an Instagram live. I would love to do that because I know a lot of viewers will have questions after they've heard this episode because it is complex. And I think people need to understand that, you know, we as professionals have a lot of questions. We're trying yeah. to figure it out. And so I think we forget how confusing it may be to yep. the layperson, the patient. But I'm excited because there, there seems to be a lot of interest in oral care. And I think a lot of it is because we've now found a root cause that makes sense. That's the oral microbiome, dysbiosis, all of that. We know that we can abuse it. A lot of the oral healthcare products that dentists and big corporations have been promoting are terrible. I mean, they've been promoting a breakdown yeah. of the oral microbiome. And, and so, but that's changing as well. I make a lot of recommendations. There's no perfect toothpaste out there yet. I, I think uh, I know someone who's working on a toothpaste that I can get behind 100% in terms of being oral microbiome friendly, oral microbiome safe, but also supportive of the mm -hmm. oral microbiome. But in the meantime, it's diet, as we talked about, it's testing. So I'm going to end just by telling everyone what my results were for my test. Okay. You don't need to share yours, David, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and you know, I've tested, I think, twice. And the good news I wasn't nervous. I thought I would do well, but I was surprised by one of the results. 
So I was did barely registered for cavities and for gum disease. And again, I'm walking the talk here. I'm eating well. I eat the dental diet. I gave up sugar 12 years ago. I mouth tape. My mouth isn't dry. I'm always worried about the pH of my saliva. I brush. I floss. I use toothpaste like Boca and Risewell. Again, not perfect toothpaste because they still have emulsifiers and surfactants in there. But and I do tongue scrape, but I'm I'm not consistent on tongue scraping. So the one score that surprised me that actually registered. So I did well. I got like a A plus, whatever. But <laughs> I didn't do well with halitosis. That's a score you have, and that and that's measuring a group of bacteria. A, a biome of itself. There are all these little niches in the mouth. There's a biome of the palate, of the oral pharynx, the back of the throat, behind a distal molar. I mean, there are all these little niches. And one of those niches is a bi- oral biome, microbiome of the tongue. And yeah. so I now know this. I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't taken the test. And now I am a religious tongue scraper twice a day. <laughs> I can probably go to once a day eventually. So I'm looking forward to testing again seeing the scores. I mean, this data is wonderful. It it saves us time. It saves us money. It provides for better health and not just good oral health, overall health. I mean, it it really is a great way to address that oral systemic connection. And so I'm just glad that the test exists. Last question. What's the future for Bristol? What's coming? One thing I would love to see is a nitric oxide score. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, thank goodness to James Nestor. And I've been talking about mouth taping for and being able to breathe through your nose for at least 10 years now. It's having its moment now, this being able to breathe properly through your nose and how that does so many things. One of those things, of course, is producing a lot of nitric oxide. So can that be scored on the bristle test? Absolutely. One of the things we're doing is putting together all the functions of the microbes in your mouth. So it's not just what the microbes are, it's also what they can do. So if you imagine each of those microbes is like a different Lego, you can put Legos together and build lots of different things. And one of those things is nitric oxide. And the way they do it is by reducing nitrate. And there's a a whole series of different types of enzymes and genes that go into how you produce nitric oxide and how it affects your body. But with the bristle technology, it allows us to look exactly at what these microbes can do and thus, we can give you your nitrate reduction score. We can see how well these bacteria are reducing nitrate and then what you can do about it. So if you have a very low nitrate reduction score, you can try and boost it by actually taking specific supplements, things like beetroot juice, which has been shown to modulate the oral microbiome and increase nitrate reduction. And, and hopefully that goes a long way into helping people maintain their health. Right. Well, David, thank you so much. Uh, again, David is the CSO, Chief Scientific Officer of Bristol. I think this is a big, kind of a big moment for the oral microbiome. The fact that uh, we get this kind of broad, comprehensive test of the oral microbiome. And of course, the data is getting, is being interpreted just even better and better over time. And I encourage everyone to get a test. I have an affiliate link. I will include that in the show notes. And again, oral microbiome is so complicated. It is overwhelming to me. I'm a practitioner. It's as we heard from David, it's overwhelming to him. And, and that's okay. We're chipping away at it. But we need to move forward on this. We need to understand it because it means so much to our lives overall. I mean, I could talk about connections to overall happiness, you know, and and whether you're going to have depression or not and how that ties to biomes in the body. And so it's important, uh, relationships, uh, success in life, but obviously overall health and longevity, health span, lifespan, all of that. So I don't want to beat a dead horse here. But anyway, so if you have any questions uh, about the oral microbiome, please send them to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. Uh, I'll probably aggregate all those questions about the oral microbiome. We'll get David back on. We're so fortunate to have David. Uh, There are very few experts on the oral microbiome. I think it's just such a treat to be able to have spent time with you hour and what it's been an hour and 15 minutes. And I really appreciate your time. We've written a lot about the oral microbiome on askthedentist.com. You can go there. And last point is that, you know, you may go to your dentist now and ask about the oral microbiome. And I want to warn you that not all dentists are up to speed on this. Uh, Seek out a functional dentist or the beauty of getting the test is that you don't need to ask your dentist for this test. You can go to the link that I'm going to provide you. You can go directly to this company and get the test sent to you. I've got a little box down here on the left. I was going to give a little demo on how to do that, but we'll save that for next time. It's very simple. Open the box, you spit it in a tube, you seal it off, 
you put it back in the mail and you get the results. Uh, the results are very tangible and easy to read and understand. You do have online coaching, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be a big boon, I think. So, But my point is, is that to really break down and understand the oral microbiome, you're going to have to reach out and find a dentist that is functionally minded. And we do have a directory for that at askthedentist.com slash directory. Reach out to them. If you have any questions, reach out to me directly. And again, David, thank you so much for your time. I love talking about the oral microbiome and it's so helpful to know and be with you today just to quantify this big, big entity that is fascinating, but also very overwhelming. Is there anything you want to add at all? Anything about bristle? Anything a lot that I'd like to talk about more, but uh, we can yeah. save it for another time. We're going to give you that opportunity and uh, maybe we'll do an Instagram live and then we'll advertise that and then everyone can just ask questions directly. Yeah, and, uh, that's great. And yeah, so that's great. Thank Good. you so much for your time, David. I had a blast. Hope everyone enjoyed this, the oral microbiome. There's more to come. Thanks. This was lots of fun. If you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review. This will help others discover the same oral health information that you've been using to optimize your overall health. As always, I appreciate your support and your reviews. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.